0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. more than conquerors excited for this new series that we're kicking off today and uh, I want to just begin by saying welcome you guys are looking good in the room good to see you I also want to look into that camera and say welcome to those of you tuning in online we're so glad that you've joined us as well and for those of you watching this at a later date or tuning into the podcast welcome to Central let's give it up for them online that's awesome well, today we're partnering with over 40,000 churches around the globe just to say welcome back to church. And for some of you, uh, that's welcome back to church from last Sunday, so welcome back. Uh, for some of you, it's welcome back for the very first time in church ever. And so wherever you are on that scale, we're, we're, we're glad that you're here. You made a wise choice uh, to join us today. Here's what, here's what CNN Health says, and I quote, a new study suggests that regular church attendance can help increase their lifespan. Researchers looked at data from 75,000 middle-aged female nurses in the United States as part of a nurse's health study. Participants answered the questions about whether they attend religious services regularly. The researchers found that women who went to church once a week or more had a 33% lower risk of dying during the study period compared to those who never went. So 33% chances of your survival just by showing up today. So good job. Good <laughs> job. Uh, and that's CNN. That's not Christianity Today. I'm just saying it's, they don't have any stake in the game. Here's another one from Harvard, Tyler Vanderweel, professor of epidemiology uh, from, from Harvard. I probably mispronounced that. I didn't go to Harvard. Here's what he says, though. He says, the research shows that church attendance promotes self-discipline, a sense of meaning, and purpose in life. And I quote, our study suggests that health, that, th- that for your health, the benefits outweigh the potential negative effects. And let's be honest, there are some negative effects of attending church, like the Chiefs are playing right now, and here I am on stage with you in church, right? Uh, the Raiders are playing right now, but that's actually a blessing uh, that you're missing that, so you're welcome. But there are some negative effects. In the, this, his perspective, he's like, you know, going to church might, might be in gathering with some people that aren't as tolerant as, as you are, and he, he lists some negative effects, and he says, even though there may be some negative effects, the health benefits that you receive from a gathering like this outweigh... The negative. Another Harvard medical study found that people who attend church on a weekly basis are 68% more likely to thrive in life. Vanderbilt University came out with a study that says that those who attend worship services on a regular basis have less stress. Anybody want some less stress? Hey, welcome back to church, y'all. They have less stress and... The lower risk of mortality by 55%, especially for those between the ages of 40 and 65 years old. One final research data point. Research from Parenting with Focus discovered that kids who attend church on a regular basis are happier, healthier, and better adjusted. Plus, church is a great place for kids to learn morals and virtues. End of quote. So I'm just saying, hey, if, if you want to thrive in life, you want less stress, you want longevity in life, you want to you be able to, to discover some self-discipline, know that you, you have a purpose here on this earth. If you want your kids, your grandkids to be happier, healthier, more well-rounded citizens, then welcome back to church Sunday. We're so glad that you're here. And I just want to extend an invitation. Uh, I would extend an invitation to say, hey, what if you gave God a year of your life? Like, what if for the next 12 months, you said, hey, as much as I can, I'm going I'm to be in the house. I'm going to show up to church. I'm just going to show up to church. But, but here's what we're going to talk about. Every week, we're going to give you some next steps, some practical advice from the Bible. And I guarantee if you start applying, it's not going to take 12 months. But if you give it 12 months of your life, God will change your life. You'll look back in 2024 on September 17th, and you're going to say, I'm so glad I did. And here's the deal. You don't have to. But if you want, you want some purpose in your life, you want to become a whole person, you want to become who God created you to be, you want to discover your purpose, you want to help your kids become who God created them to be, just, just keep showing up. Welcome back to church. And, uh, and I guarantee Hey, and if God doesn't change your life, I'll go find a new church with you. How about that? I'll go with you. So it's, a, it's an invitation. One year, see what God does. And by the way, it's a great day to jump in central. Uh, We're jumping into our study through the book of Romans. Uh, We've been studying the book of Romans uh, pretty much throughout last year. We're jumping in today. We took a pause throughout the summer. Now we're jumping back into Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Your Bible is not just one book, but it's broken down into multiple books. And the New Testament is really letters, letters to different churches to help churches thrive and address practical issues in, in the, the church life. The book of Romans is written by a guy named Paul, written to this church in Rome, and it's a great chapter. It's not only Romans is not only the crown jewel of the New Testament, Romans chapter eight is the pinnacle. A smart man named John Piper says this. He says, the greatest book in the world is the Bible. The greatest letter in the book is the book of Romans. The greatest chapter in that letter is Romans chapter 8, and the greatest verse in Romans chapter 8 is Romans chapter 1. And so that's what we'll be unpacking today, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 through 4. No pressure, hopefully I don't blow it for you. If, if Romans chapter 8 had a soundtrack, as we round the corner from Romans chapter 7, I think this would be the anthem of Romans chapter 8. Come on now, get fired up, y'all. It's Romans chapter eight. Like, come on, start pushing, start, you know, get some rocky action going. Romans chapter eight is here. That's the soundtrack of Romans chapter eight. It was Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great Presbyterian minister who, who, who pastored uh, 10th Street Presbyterian Church for decades. He said this, he was asked, hey, if you're stranded on a desert island, You can only take one chapter of the Bible with you for the rest of your life. What chapter of the Bible would you take? He said, undoubtedly, I'd take Romans chapter 8. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing chapter. It's a powerful chapter. It's a a chapter that starts with, now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it closes with now there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We're not quite there yet. We don't want to spoil the goodness here. Uh, (laughs) If you're feeling guilt, read Romans chapter eight. If you're struggling with sin, read Romans chapter eight. If you're having a hard time, Read Romans chapter 8. If you're feeling distant from God, read Romans chapter 8. If you feel like you're on the mountaintop and everything's great, read Romans chapter 8 and you'll feel even better. Before we get to Romans chapter 8, let me just set the stage of what's been going on in this amazing book, the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, at the very introduction, Paul outlays for us his purpose in writing this letter. He wants the church of Rome to understand the gospel, he wants them to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, and really the whole book of Romans is about the gospel. Whenever we get to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul, like a prosecuting attorney, begins to build a case for how you, how, how I, am broken. How, how we've offended a very holy God who has righteous standards and how we have unequivocally, like, like without a doubt, we have shattered that standard. And we are therefore objects worthy of wrath. He begins to take a turn in Romans chapter 3 through chapter 5, and he talks to us about the hope that we have in the gospel, that there is hope of justification. And we're going to talk about that word in in just a little bit. then he turns a corner from that in Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and now at the beginning of chapter 8, and he talks about this $5 word called sanctification. And we're going to talk about what that means for you and I as well. But with that as kind of a backdrop, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Verses one through four, and if you would, why don't you stand to your feet with me in honor of God's word? And I know you got comfortable, and sorry for disrupting your comfortability, but 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 you'll get comfortable in just a moment again. And you say, why are we standing up right now? now I was reading last night right before bed and in Psalms one thirty-eight. It says this. It says it says above all, you have anointed your name and your word. And as a church, if you're new to church, you just need to know, man, we place high authority on the word of God, because God has anointed his word above all. It is, it is our guide for faith and practice. If you want to become alive, you want to become the person God created you to be. Well, you have to understand this. And the reason we stand in moments like this, just like the reason we stand at a wedding, whenever a bride's coming in, we honor the moment. And this is just a moment to say, God, this is your word. And God, we know you're about to speak to us individually, but God, you're about to speak to us collectively. And we're just giving our body notice for what's about to take place. All right. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, this is the word of the Lord to us today. When we get to the red letter word, really loud, really proud, would you read that out loud with me? It says this. Therefore, there is now... Come on, y'all are going to be yelling at the TV louder than that in just a little bit. So let's do it a r- little, bit, little bit louder, a little bit stronger. There's, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully, not partially, not just a little bit, not 50%, not, not 99%, no, fully met in us who do not live according to sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the hope we have in you that there's true freedom from condemnation that God are, are all the, the righteous requirements of the law that we can stand before you on judgment day. Knowing we've been fully forgiven because of the path, because of the person you provided for us in Jesus Christ. God, may we understand that cognitively and may we live that out practically. I pray on a daily basis in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, before you have a seat, once you turn to someone, give them a high five and say, there's now no condemnation, no condemnation. No condemnation, you're free. So three aspects, I wanna give you three aspects of the good news, and I I wanna give you three results of understanding that good news, three results or three differences uh, that it makes as we respond to that. So today, the title of the message is the good news about the good news. And here's the first point, if you're taking notes, write this down, the reality is celebration. So when we understand there's therefore now no condemnation, the reality when we live in that results in celebration. So the first, understand the reality of the gospel. Romans 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're like me, often we read through that so fast. We just gloss over it and we miss the magnitude. We miss the weight of the reality of Paul's words penned here in Romans chapter 8. In verse 1, he begins with this word, therefore. And anytime time you see the word, therefore, you got to go back and see what in the world it's there for. And, and normally, it's right in context with what he previously said. But, but this time, it's not just what Paul previously said in Romans chapter 7. Because Paul closes Romans 7 by saying, man, the good things I want to do, well, I don't do them. And the bad things I want to avoid, I just keep tripping over my feet. And so he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our lord that he's going to he's going to bring freedom. And that's what he just said in Romans chapter 7 but but now he's not only recapping Romans 7 he's recapping everything he said in the previous 7 chapters. So he's highlighting, hey, hey, you're broken by sin. We've all made us. We've fallen short of God's standard. We're worthy of his wrath. But not only that, God provided a pathway for you to be justified, to be forgiven, to be made new. Not only that, but he's given you a purpose. You can be sanctified. You can structure your life in such a way that you model the life of Jesus, and in doing so, you come alive. And when you do that, you're experiencing salvation. And now, now Paul's saying, therefore, in light of all of that, there's now no condemnation. Next word I want to highlight for you is now. It's not, it's not later. It's not one day when you die. It's not when you're on your deathbed. It's not when you figure out your crap. It's not not when you get all that, that buttoned up and you tie a an neat and happy bow on that situation that you're dealing with. No, right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is now, right now, in this moment, no condemnation over your life. Next word I want to highlight is the word no. This word no, I mean, you're a very educated, smart group of people, and I have no doubt that you understand this word no. Now, no means no. Unless you're married, then no can mean a whole lot of other things, right? <laughs> hey, it, babe, is something wrong? No. Well, your face is kind of saying something's wrong. But, but, but I, we're going to assume outside, just a normal context, no means no. And I think we get this, but just to help us understand what this word means, let's say it out loud together. No. Webster's Dictionary of the word no, used in the negative response. Is anything wrong? No. No, I will not date your cousin Ralph. (laughs) Synonyms, absolutely not. Most certainly not. Of course not. Under no circumstances. By no means. Not at all. Negative. Never. Not really. The informal. Nope. Nada. Uh-uh. Nah, not on your life. No way. No way, Jose. Ex-nay. Were we clear? No. There's no. Not, n- 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 here's why I, I kind of make fun of, but, but for many of us as Christians, the more I counsel people, the more I meet with people, they, they read this like, yeah, I know that verse says that, but, but I think that's like 75%. I still got to figure out some of this other stuff no, no, no. There's now no condemnation on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're outside the realm of possibility of being condemned. And that's a big word. Next word, condemnation. Like that, there's a lot of weight to that word. There's, there's a magnitude to that word. And, and some people say, well, hey, if there's now no condemnation, then why do I feel condemnation? And I would suggest there's two reasons why you might feel condemnation in your life. Number one is because you don't really understand what God's done for you. Like you just haven't really fully grasped the gospel, that it was never about your performance. There was never about you uh, living life up to a standard by by that you set or someone else sets that now gives you right standing with God. If you read Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 7, you you get the understanding of this, this gospel. And Paul's emphatically clear. It's not about your performance. It's about everything that Jesus has done for you that brings freedom and forgiveness into your life and my life. So it could be that we don't really understand the gospel. Second, it could be that the enemy is lying to you. And the enemy is always going contrary to God's word. So where God says there's no condemnation, the enemy is going to say, well, yeah, that might be true for, for Rick. Or that might be true for Aaron or that might be true for Erica. But, but Chris, let me just tell you, you know, he'll lie to you. And it's either, one, you don't really understand the gospel, or two, the enemy's lying to you. But either way, whatever situation that might be, the same application is required. You need to memorize Romans 8.1. And every time you feel those feelings of condemnation, you say, no, I know my feelings say this, but God's word says this. And I know, therefore, there is now no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. It could be confused, too, with you could say, man, I feel condemned, but you might not really feel condemned. You might be experiencing something else. And so, so let's look at it. Does God condemn me? Well, a good question is, does God bring, here's a word, conviction? Does God bring conviction? And the, absolutely, yes. Like, God does bring conviction into our lives because He just means he has something better for us. All right, John 16. This is Jesus. He says, says but I tell you the truth. It's good for you that I go away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. So talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Here's what, here's what the presence of God is going to do. He's going to convict the world of guilt, of wrong, wrongdoing, in regards to sin, when we, we live life out of alignment with God's word, in regards to righteousness, God's standard, in regards to judgment, to say, hey, if you don't turn, this is going to happen. And so, so does God bring conviction? Absolutely, yes. Because it just means he has something better for you. Conviction just means, hey, hey, what you're doing is not in line with my best, so I just want to help you come over here, make a pivot, make a change. Another question, are there consequences to my actions? Are there correction? Does God correct us? And it's emphatically yes, he does. And, And sometimes we can think conviction, sometimes consequences or correction is the same as condemnation, and they're not the same. Hebrews 12, five through six says, and have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. I love this quote. It says, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters because God's created you in such a way. That whenever you do not live life in alignment with how he's created you, it's just going to be a hard road. But whenever you you begin to live life according to his word, when you begin to live life as he created you to, you're going to discover like, oh, man, I didn't even know this life was possible. Does God bring conviction? Yes. Does God allow consequences and correction for our poor choices? Yes. As a dad, I would not be a good dad if i let my kids do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. They'd be eating sugar and playing video games all, all their whole life. And that wouldn't be setting them up for success. So I bring correction. I bring, I bring some consequences to poor behavior. And then finally, does God bring condemnation? No, not at all. There is therefore now no condemnation. And look what he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that small phrase, in Christ Jesus. Short phrase, but pregnant with potential and implications for your life, Paul uses this phrase in Christ Jesus 216 times throughout the New Testament because you're in Christ Jesus, you're outside the realm of possibility of being condemned. Can Christ be condemned again? No, you're in him. So you too are outside the realm of condemnation and the reality of that should result in tremendous celebration. Even when everything is going against you, you got this going for you. And so let's remember that and anchor back into that second point. The reason, the reason there's no condemnation is this $5 word justification that Paul's been teaching us throughout our study of the book of of Romans. The reason there's no condemnation is because you've been justified. Romans uh, 3 verses 21 through 521 talks about justification. Let's rewind the tape to Romans 5.1 just to look at it real quick. He He says, since we've been justified by faith, so whatever justification is, you take hold of it by faith, you don't earn it. But it brings this. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what justification is. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unpa- unsaved person's sins and credits to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith they believe. And so here's, here's salvation. So people say, well, what is what's salvation really about? And Paul's unpacking for you, for me, that salvation is really experienced in three parts. And so the first part of salvation is justification. So at the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, you say, God, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And as a result, God, I'm just going all in with you. Like, here's my life. You can have it. In that nanosecond, you're justified. Sin's forgiven. Past, present, future, dealt with on the cross. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and transgression from your life. But he doesn't end there. Like most people think that that's salvation. I've been forgiven. But there's more. Like there's always more with God. Because how many of you know I can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean we have right relationship. And so what God does, he doesn't just forgive your sins. He now clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. He credits to your account. Though we were bankrupt in righteousness, he dumps the truckload into your bank account and he clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. So whenever God sees you, he doesn't see your past mistakes. He didn't see your shortcomings. He didn't see all the times you've blown it. He sees the righteousness of his son, and that allows us to boldly come to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. And that's the first part of experiencing salvation. The second part of experiencing salvation is this word we're going to talk about in a moment, and it's sanctification. And basically, sanctification is where we align our life. We we strive to live life as Jesus did. And if you're, and that's current, real time taking place, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in that process of being sanctified. We're not perfect. We're imperfect people in progress. But when we strive to live like Jesus, the more we become like him, the more alive we become. Jesus said this, I've come to give you life, John 10, 10, and life to the fullest. And when you you step into that process of just living life as Jesus lived, you're going to experience the abundant life that he's promised you. So justification takes place in our past. Sanctification is taking place in the present. And Paul's going to talk to us in Romans 8 about glorification. One day when you die, you're going to get a brand new body. You're going to shed this body of sin. Everything that that hinders relationships and corrupts our thinking, like, will be removed, justified in our past, sanctified in our present, glorified in our future. Aren't you thankful for his radical grace? Well, here's what he says, Romans 8.2. He says, he says, because, so, so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, that's the gospel, set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is, is God's word, like don't lie, don't cheat. Don't, don't steal. Don't look upon another person with lust. Like, like, don't covet what other people have. And every time you've broken that law, it's a violation against God's standards. And, and, and what is for our good, Paul says, says, the law is good, but I'm a broken dude. Now the law has authority to condemn us in the courts of heaven. It says, it says through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free From the law of sin and death. So now I'm outside the realm of the law. Now I'm living in in God's grace. It goes on to say, for what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. So in other words, God's law is good, I just can't keep it. If I could keep it perfectly, then no problem. But the problem is I've blown it. And my guess is you have too. And so now what do we do? For what the law was powerless to do, and that was weakened by our sinful nature, God did something. God did. We're incapable of helping ourselves. The law incapable of saving us. And God did something. God steps in to our helpless state. He does something. And that's really the heart of the gospel, that God did something. The heart of the gospel is that God saw us in our sinful state, separated from God, and God did something. The heart of the gospel is that God saw us worthy of his wrath, and he had mercy on us Instead, the heart of the gospel is that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The heart of the gospel is that while we were enemies of God, God provided a path for you to become a friend of God. It wasn't an afterthought. He's had you on his mind from the very beginning. He he, he knew you. You're not an afterthought. The Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 5 says this. It says, long ago... Before he laid the earth's foundation, he had you on his mind. Like not an afterthought. You might have surprised a whole lot of people when you showed up, but you didn't surprise God. He had you on his mind. I love Psalms 139. He says this All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to recount them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. How much does God think about you? How much are you on his mind? Man, go to Santa Cruz, to the beach, and just get a handful of sand and start counting. And when you're done with that handful, take another handful and keep counting. He says he, says, though he thinks about you so much, it would outnumber the grains of sand on earth. He, you're always on his mind. You say, well, what was he thinking about? Well, he was thinking about your creation, the family you'd live in, where you would live, the time and space you would live. He chose you for this generation. He chose you for this space. You're not, you're, wherever you are in life, you're not there by surprise. He's orchestrated that. He's given you experiences, some good ones and some really challenging ones, to shape your ministry that he has for you. He, what was he thinking about? He was thinking about your natural gifts, talents, and abilities. He was thinking about the spiritual gifts he was going to instill in you to help you succeed in your ministry that he has for you. He was thinking about you, not only for your, sal- your creation, but your salvation. Like, he was planning on you being here. September 17th, 2023. So as a believer, you could gather in this place. Here, there's no condemnation. Be encouraged. He was planning for you, whether you're in this space, September 17th, 2023, as an unbeliever, to hear the gospel, to hear that God loves you so much. You've always been on a mind. And to bring you to this point of saying, God, here I am. Like, let's connect. My life is yours. He goes on to say he settled on us, the focus of his love, to be made whole. That's his plan for you, to be a whole person. And how's that happen? To become holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. God's been planning your creation, your salvation long, long ago. Listen, you've been on his mind long before you ever thought about him. Romans 8, 3, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did something. He steps into the gap. And what does he do? It's by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. What we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 is all of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, doing all that God does to draw you to himself, the father orchestrating your life, the son stepping in as as an offering, a sacrifice for your sin, the Holy Spirit praying for you, interceding for you, empowering you to become the person that God created you to be. He sent his his son, and and we need to know, like, it's not like he's inferior to God. No, he's co-equal to God, co-existent with God from eternity past, always there. And he stepped out of eternity into time. He took the form of a fragile, vulnerable little baby. Fully God, yet fully human. Tempted in every way, just as you are, yet without sin. And becomes the perfect offering. He came in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. It goes on to say, and so as a result of what he's done, he's condemned sin and sinful man. So now you are no longer in the realm of condemnation, but he's condemned sin. So you're not condemned, but he condemns sin in sinful man. You say, well, what does that mean? How does that even happen? Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned and done our own thing. Anybody relate? But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 1 Peter 2.24, he personally, it's not abstract, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you have been healed. So God, in his wisdom, takes your, your sin, your shame, and he lays it on his son. And in that moment, this great exchange Martin Luther talks about, he, he, he puts your shame on him so now you can experience salvation. He, he, Christ was punished so you could be set free. It's the heart of the gospel. Back to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. In doing so, in allowing his son to become an offering for our sin, he now condemns sin in sinful man. So the reality, there's no condemnation on your life should result in wonderful celebration. Like, God, thank you for what you've done. The reason there's no condemnation is because you've been justified. Like, Jesus paid your penalty in your place. And the third result is sanctification. So in light of that, in light of what he's done, the result should be this process of sanctification where we say, God, here's my life. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. If you say it, I'm on. If you say, go, I'll go. Whatever your word says, God, I'm coming under your, your authority. Sanctification, again, a, a big word that we don't use in our everyday vernacular. But here it is. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 6. Chapter 7, now here again in Romans chapter 8. Romans 6.22 says this. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. And that's a choice. You can choose who you're going to serve. You can choose to serve yourself. You can choose to serve your addiction. You can choose to serve whatever pleases you, or you can choose to serve God, become a slave of God. And if you do, the fruit of which leads to this process of sanctification and its end result is eternal life. And don't we want that? And when he talks about eternal life here, he's not talking about a duration of time. Here's what you need to know. You're going to live forever. Everyone walking the planet today will live for eternity. You're going to live for eternity with God in heaven. It's going to be wonderful. Wonderful. Or you're going to live separated from God in a place called hell, and it's going to be awful. But all of us will live for eternity. And so what's Paul, what's he talking about here in Romans chapter 6? Chapter eternal life isn't just a quantity of time, but a quality of existence. Jesus said this, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Eternal life can start today. And sanctification leads us to that process. Here's a definition for you. It's in your notes. Sanctification is the process whereby the believer becomes more and more like Jesus, or we could say holy as a result of God's work in them and their obedience to his word. The more and more we just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's activity, the more and more we purpose in our heart, God, this isn't just a holy book. This isn't just a a religious document. No, God, I believe this is your word. I'm going to live according to your word. The more you do, the more alive you're going to become. And that's where friends, I'm just telling you, that's where salvation gets fun. Because I believed in Jesus for a good percentage of my life. I just didn't want to come under his authority. But when I did, I was like, what I've always wanted, wholeness, healing, peace, came into my life. And I want that for you so bad I could jump out of my skin and this is the process for it. Purpose in your heart, man. I'm gonna live life, Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna apply His word to the best of my ability. Here's what Paul puts it: Romans eight four it says, "In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, so like it, not partially, but all the requirements of the law are fully met in us." And here's here's the challenge: Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but we live according to the Spirit. And next week we're gonna begin to unpack how that's possible how you can live life in the spirit of God, how you can have the very, the Bible talks about how the very presence of God who created the universe takes up residence in you. When you surrender your life to him, you begin to follow him. So how do we allow the Holy Spirit to have not just residency in us, but authority and power to help us to live life according to his word? We're going to talk about that next week. But those who have experienced that, Paul says they want that. They don't want to go back to the old way of living. They want to they please the sinful nature. They want to live according to the spirit. And that, in a nutshell, is sanctification. So the reality is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that should result in tremendous celebration. The reason there's no condemnation is because you've been justified. God did something for you. And that's what he did. He sent his son. He took your penalty, took your shame, so you can walk in freedom. And the result Realizing, just getting a glimpse of what he's done for us should result in saying, God, after all you've done for me, what can I do for you? What does your word say? And I would just say this, Christianity is the only religion where it's not about your performance, it's about what he's done. Every other religion says this, says if you perform well, if you behave well, then you might get God's notice you might be accepted by him. And if you really perform well, you might be embraced by him. And if you really, 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 really perform well, then you might experience forgiveness from him and freedom from condemnation. Christianity turns it on its head. It says, when you embrace his son, you're outside the realm of possibility of being condemned. You're forgiven, you're part of the family. Welcome home. And now in light of what he's done, it'd be really wise for you just to go and live life according to his word. And when you blow it, you don't beat yourself up or feel condemned because it was never about your performance in the first place. It was always about his radical grace and rescuing power. I want to close with just a story. I was talking to my buddy Elias uh, a couple weeks ago, and it reminded me of a story that I don't think I've shared with you, and I'm not really excited to share with you today, honestly, uh, because my parents are watching online. I'm not really proud of some of the things I put my parents through. My parents are awesome. Um, But man, I've done some stupid things. And I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't living with my parents. I moved out of the house at a young age. And I was living in a different city. My parents were in a small town. And uh, me and my buddy that I was living with went to visit my folks. And uh, we we had dinner. It was nice hanging out. And then me and my, my friend, we went out that night. And we're partying and drinking and, and smoking, doing all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and there were some local guys and I, I, you know, what, as a young man, I was just full of anger and I didn't really understand why I was so angry all the time, but at the drop of a hat, I'd be ready to go. And these guys popped off, said something and man, we were at it and we're fighting in the middle of this downtown area. And me and two of my buddies, they jumped in the truck. They're trying to get out of here. They're running away. And, and I was like, no, you're not. You come back. And so I went to smack the back glass of this, this Jeep to get them to come back out and fight more. And my, I guess I was so pumped up. My hand went through the glass and that's why I have all these scars on my wrist. And I thought, man, I'm a bleed out in Marshall, Missouri. Y'all. I thought, this is how it is for me. Like, well, oh, great. The legacy my mom's going to get is your son died in a drunken fight on the streets. I went and got, went to the hospital. Thankfully, they were able to stitch me up and I didn't die that night. 6 a.m. the next morning, police come to my parents' house. Small town, you gotta understand, small town stuff is different than San Jose. Like everybody knows everything. Cops show up at your house, neighbors know, soon the whole community knows. My parents were followers of Jesus. They're leaders in the church. Here their son comes, screws it all up. And I remember getting putting handcuffs in front of my mama. Some of y'all know this feeling. They hauled me off to jail and I thought, man, after all I've done to my parents, they'd be right just to leave me in here to rot. I deserve this. And hours go by and I'm thinking, well, I wonder when my court date's coming up. I, you know, I'm trying to think through all, I'm in high school at the time. and Bailiff comes says, hey, Tim, your dad came. He's he's paid your penalty. He's paid your fine. You're free to go. And in that moment, I had a choice to make. And in this moment, you have a choice to make. In that moment, I could have said, after all the shame I put my dad through, after all the humiliation I've caused my family, all the regret, I don't think my dad's that good. So I don't believe what you're saying. So I'm just going to sit in this cell and I'll wait for my punishment because I deserve it. That's a choice, you have that choice. Or in that moment, I could say, my dad did what? My dad humbled himself to not only identify with me, but to pay my penalty? Well, gosh, dad, if you're willing to do that, then what can I do for you? How can I I walk in a way that honors our family? How can I walk in a way that honors the leg? How can I, what can I do for you? And that's a choice you have today too. You can stay in the cell and pay your own penalty and that's a choice, but you just need to know the door's been unlocked and you're free to go. And the way you start taking steps to freedom is by believing that what God's word says is true. And you're not just gonna believe it cognitively, you're gonna apply it to your life. And as you do, you're gonna discover that your heavenly father is a whole lot better than you ever imagined he was. The way you take hold of it is you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that that on the cross he really did lift your sin, your shame off your shoulders and he laid it on his one and only son. And in that moment, Jesus became an offering for your sin. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. You get his life, he took your death. You get his glory, he took your shame. You get mercy, he took your wrath. Or you can say, I don't think my heavenly father's that good. I think I'll just sit in the cell. Let me pray. Father.